Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti, sitting here with Old Saybrook First Selectman, Carl Fortuna. Carl, welcome. How are you? Welcome, Pete. Welcome, buddy. How are you? <laughs> I know. We got an elbow, do, fists, do, a, do, whatever, do an elbow, do an elbow, because I'm a little <clears throat> shorter than, uh, I'm, t I'm tethered in tonight, so yeah. I'm, you might say. So what, what's new? What's going on? Well, um, I thought it'd be uh, a good program to maybe discuss a little bit about the pandemic. Right. And uh, maybe for you and your viewers to get a, a better idea of what's happened uh, in Old Saybrook, okay. uh, both in economic development, um, with the schools, and with some other programs that we have going on. Okay. And, uh, you know, the pandemic really hit in early March, as you know. Um, restaurants were shut down. Uh, gyms were shut. I went, you know, I go to a gym. The gyms were shut down. So, uh, and now they're starting to reopen again. So I thought it might be uh, good to talk about that and what we've tried to do to help our businesses uh, succeed during this time because it is a challenging time. I think the summer is going to be the easy part. Yeah. I think the winter, as you know, right. if the virus were to come back a little bit uh, stronger than it is right now, um, I think it will be a lot more challenging as the colder weather approaches. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess the fir our, our, fir our first friend who we're going to have on yeah. tonight is Susie Beckman with the Economic Development yep. for um, the Town of Old Saybrook. I thought we'd invite Susie in sure. um, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, she and I brainstormed early okay. uh, with her commission uh, to discuss what we might be able to do for our businesses and how to get the word out that they're either open or they're doing takeout. Right. Well, we worked with the chamber a little bit uh, to assist some of our restaurants. Uh, and we're doing some other things that we're going to talk about, too. So okay. um, I know this is uh, an unusual format for it you. It is. That's okay. So uh, I don't know. You, uh, is uh, Susie on the call I right believe now? so. Okay. Susie Beckman, are you joining us tonight? I'm here. Thank How you are for you? having me on. Thanks for coming down. How you been? I've been doing well. And you? Excellent. I've been good. I've been good. So, Susie, what's what's been what's as far as economic development goes in the town of Old Saybrook? What's been going on? Well, um, like Carl said, it's been a very busy spring and summer, and there was just a flurry, as you as everyone knows, there was a flurry of information coming out in March, and the Economic Development Commission and the Economic Development Office just tried to provide that information to the business community so that uh, we could all keep up with what was happening or at least and at least what the state and the federal government were trying to do to support businesses. Okay. And um, Carl mentioned already that we've several times been trying to brainstorm what we can do to support the business community during this um, during this health pandemic. And um, many different things have come out of it. And the first, which was just a, a brainstorm when people were really quarantined, was having some Adirondack chairs on the front green, on the green of town hall. And Carl and I talked about different ways that we might be able to promote people getting out, but in a safe way, um, how we could promote the takeout from restaurants or even promote people walking along Main Street in a safe manner and having a place to go where they could sit. So we ended up putting some Adirondack chairs on the, the town green. It was a placemaking, it's a term that we use in economic development um, effort. And we put out 20 chairs 
we put them in groups of five because at the time you were limited to groups of five right. and we kept them spaced a little bit but they've been very well received they're very colorful chairs we did work with um Sabre hardware so we want to say thank you to them for partnering with us on that project and so we have 20 chairs on the green and carl can tell you he looks out his office window and they're pretty well filled at different times during the day in different spots. And it's really nice to see people enjoying them. Absolutely. So that, that was just a very small thing that we did. That okay. was one of the first things we did, very small. Right. Um, where we spent, I think it was about $400 uh, on these chairs. They're plastic chairs. Yeah. Uh, but it was just trying, how do, how do we get people on about? People were in their homes. Uh, they couldn't go to the gym, but you know, as you know, uh, you can't buy a bicycle these days because people are like, what can we do right. to get us outside? So one of the things we could do is encourage people to come by and eat their lunch on the town green, um, sit and maybe listen to some music on the town green. And people of all ages are using these chairs. I don't want to dwell on the chairs too much, but okay. uh, they're going to stay. The chairs will remain and they get moved all over the town green because people go in different configurations. So it's awesome. and. You know, one of the concerns we had is, you know, will someone walk off with a chair now right. and then? Yeah, right. And I would, uh, but uh, last count I took, all 20 chairs were still there. So okay. it's just a nice little community thing. Um, Susie may want to talk a little bit about some other initiatives, but one of them is with the chamber. Uh, we advertise through our website, the, the great restaurant takeaway. Yep. Um, so um, I don't know if Susie wants to talk a little bit about that and maybe sure. some other initiatives. Sure. Yeah, we've been working since March, we've been working very closely with the chamber. It's almost a daily conversation to make sure that everything's going okay. Um, they have their members and they have been very, the chamber has been very, very supportive of the entire business community, not just their members. It's been a real community effort between economic development, the town and um, the Old Saybrook Chamber. And we did help promote their great takeout giveaway that they did that was originally um, supported and sponsored by a business and then expanded and continued for a, almost two months. And then there was also a, an effort to do a curbside virtual shopping Mother's Day event, just trying to promote buy local for Mother's Day because we know a lot of people by that time had gone online and were purchasing everything from Amazon or from other large retailers. So we wanted to remind folks that our businesses, our retail businesses were still here and that they could use the support as well. And the community did come out and support our businesses. Um, the other um, program that the chamber did and we helped promote was the um, an auction. And they put together an auction that raised $12,000. And that money went to local nonprofits and businesses, Old Saybrook businesses and chamber businesses and nonprofits in, um, just to help give them a little bit of support. So that $12,000 was dispersed between the applicants that send in a request for those grant funds. So that was a really nice initiative um, brought, that the chamber focused on and really supported the community. And if, um, one other uh, project that uh, Susie and I both work on 
is very uh, early on, maybe six weeks ago, we commenced what they call a long-term recovery committee, Pete. Okay, sure. um, a long-term recovery committee um, is after you've already done your response to a disaster. And a disaster <laughs> could be a hurricane, it could be a tropical storm, which right. I know we're uh, in that season <laughs> right now. Right. And it, uh, but uh, the long-term recovery committee commis uh, consists of a bunch of different uh, subcommittees, um, finance subcommittee, economic development subcommittee, um, uh, well-being, emotional well-being. You know, people were trapped in their homes. Right. Kids weren't socializing as much. So it was really important that we get Heather McNeil from Youth and Family oh, Services. Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, I think you had Heather I've on I've had the show. Heather on yeah. a couple times. Um, and an education subcommittee. And, um, and through that long-term recovery committee, uh, and a small business subcommittee also. And through the small business subcommittee and uh, working with the long-term recovery committee, uh, I went to the Board of Finance, the old Seabrook Board of Finance, mm -hmm. and requested $25,000 in funds. Okay. And we were trying to figure out how to use those funds. The town, old Seabrook town, is going to have a pretty sizable surplus this year for fiscal 20, uh, very fortunate. Uh, but we wanted to take $25,000 and help our local businesses. Sure. Uh, you heard Susie talk about the chamber yeah. and how the chamber was helping the local businesses. And we floated around a few ideas. Um, one of them is, should we do direct grants? Should we say Pete Mazzetti owns a business or your show? Right. Uh, and should we allow Pete Mazzetti to apply for a $500 to $1,000 grant um, or a flower shop or anything? But we realized that with $25,000, that money wouldn't go very far. Right. Uh, $25,000, you know, you, you could have 50 businesses apply, and, you know, including restaurants, and right. if they get a $500 grant, that may not even cover their personal protective equipment costs right. for the week. So um, what we've decided to do is take that $25,000 and we've created basically a buying cooperative, and I don't want to uh, go into crazy detail, but the essence of it is the um, the town has buying power because we were a 20, well actually we're a 46 million dollar company, the right. town of Old Saber. Absolutely. So we can work with our vendors to buy personal protective equipment Correct. more cheaply maybe than Penny Lane Pub can or right. Liv's Restaurant or Iron House Gym right. or a Function Fitness Gym. Uh, for them to get Purell and face masks. Um, so if a face mask is going to cost a business um, 75 cents, the town of Old Saybrook might be able to buy it for 50 cents. Correct. So what we did is that $25,000, we're gonna go out and we're gonna buy, and we limited it to uh, face masks, mm -hmm. Purell, um, other cleaning equipment. Correct. And we're gonna buy it. And we're going to let the businesses buy it at our cost. Ah, so the businesses will pay us, and that fund will be a revolving fund. So there you go. Um, we'll pay twenty-five thousand. We'll receive twenty-five thousand. Um, it's seed money, really, for the town. Hopefully, we'll um, we'll be able to give that twenty-five thousand dollars back to the town because it should never go below zero, and. Uh, we're hopeful that our businesses can start buying from the town mm -hmm. at a reduced cost for their personal protective equipment. Um, I don't, Susie, I don't know if there's anything else you have to add to that program. Just to put it into perspective um, for your viewers, Pete, 
a business, a, a medium-sized restaurant is spending approximately $800 a week on PPP, PPE. So it, it, it's a, a large expense on top of almost 10% when you count in a month. It's almost an additional 10% of costs put on top of what their usual costs are. Right. So it, it's significant. And being able to purchase the PPE um, through this program, I think will be really helpful for many businesses. Absolutely. And one of the things we're doing is, is we're actually sending out an old fashioned letter just snail mail in order to make sure we reach all of the businesses in town because we don't have email addresses for everyone and you can't reach everyone by social media. No. So what we're doing is sending out a snail mail letter uh, to every business and we hope they open it and take a look at, there will be a website where they can go and purchase PPE. And if they can get it less expensive through this website, we hope they'll use it. All right, Susie Beckman, thanks for coming down, and hopefully we'll see you soon. It's great to see you. Thank you. You too. Carl Fortune, thanks for coming down. We'll see you again soon. Okay, Pete. Thank you. Community TV, your neighborhood TV. Publicly funded and a reliable partner for cable companies nationwide. It provides transparent coverage of local and state government, education, and public programming. A digital town green that can be watched anywhere, anytime, and on any device. Watch us on today's high-tech distribution methods. Community TV in Connecticut. Local. Unfiltered. Reliable. And, and yours. yours. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti, sitting here with Old Saybrook First Selectman, Carl Fortuna. Carl, welcome back. Uh, had, happy to be here. Well, thanks for sticking around. Thanks for sticking around. Yep. I guess right now we're going to welcome Mark from the Old Saber Cares Committee yeah. to join us. If, if you don't mind, I'll, sure. I'd like to set the stage on Go that for a it. little bit. Um, so uh, I think in the previous segment we mentioned the long-term recovery committee that the town has started. Uh, as the pandemic has subsided a little bit in Old Saybrook, right. not sure it won't come back, but right. as it has subsided, the town has turns, turned from um, the response to the pandemic to the recovery from the pandemic. How do we help our businesses? How do we help our residents? Right. So as part of the long-term recovery committee, uh, we started a fundraising subcommittee. Right. Okay? okay. And we batted around a few ideas as to what this committee should look like. Uh, Mark is a friend of mine. Um, he was willing to uh, take on some of the fundraising of this. So we have an Old Saybrook fundraising committee as part of the long-term recovery committee. And uh, the focus of what Mark is going to talk about tonight sure. is our town residents. Absolutely. Individuals and families who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. And his name is Mark from the Old Saber Cares? Uh, Mark Riccardelli, uh, Old Saber town resident, and he's on the Old Saber uh, subcommittee called Old Saber Cares. All right, well, Mark, welcome, how are you? Pete, I am good today. And first of all, I wanna thank you for the opportunity uh, to be with you today to talk about Old Saber Cares. Uh, as we go through this, I think you'll see that this has been really a, a wonderful project, thanks to Carl's efforts. Carl's actually came up with the idea. Uh, and it's been so far very rewarding and we're gonna keep this going for quite a while. As long as the need is there, the team that we put together will be um, uh, willing and able to raise funds to help people in Old Saber. 
as Carl pointed out, our, our entire focus is supporting families in Old Saybrook that have been disproportionately affected uh, by COVID-19. Um, we have basically set up an entire fundraising organization. Uh, there's a small team, about four people that we'll talk about in a minute here. Uh, but we've partnered with the United Way uh, and we have basically set up a structure where you could donate through the United Way or you could actually donate directly through the town. United Way has been a great partner for us since they've agreed to waive all their fees. So a hundred cents on every dollar that we raise goes directly to families uh, in Old Saybrook that have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. The team has actually put together a pretty aggressive goal. Uh, our goal is to raise $100,000 to support those families. And that goal is we're about halfway through that goal. We have been really fortunate in the sense that we got uh, a fairly substantial anonymous donation. And then we got a matching grant uh, from Mike Chapin at From You Flowers. Mike has turned out to be a great partner of ours. He asked some good questions. He brings some real good insight uh, to the team. And we are working through getting that matching grant met at this time. Um, people can contribute either through the United Way or they can directly contribute uh, by sending checks to the CARES Committee, care of the, care of the Town of Old Saybrook at 302 Main Street in Old Saybrook. Mark, can I uh, interject for a minute? Sure, please do. So, uh, you know, starting in early March when the pandemic hit yes. is when people started to become unemployed. We all know the unemployment numbers have gone up significantly. Mm -hmm. um, and at its height, uh, I believe there were nearly 800 old Saybrookians uh, who may have become unemployed. I think I just invented a word. But, okay, I'll take um, right, I'll give you that. But we, we, you know, Old Saybrook's population is 10,200. So when you have six, 800 people who have been specifically affected by an event, um, we need to start doing something for them. Now, we have a very robust social services in town. Yes. Uh, but this is a, a, a little bit different. This is gonna be a shot in the arm for some people. Uh, maybe help them get through a rough time because those six to eight hundred people who were unemployed, those numbers were hopeful will go down. Yes, obviously they peaked, they got their unemployment insurance. Hopefully, some of these businesses are opening again, mm -hmm. and those people will be back to work. Absolutely. Um, and Mark can uh, tell you a little bit more about the application process and the maximum amount that each family can ask for. All right, Mark, go ahead. Thank you, Pete. And thank you, Carl, that's a critical that you bring that up. Um, the, the most important thing about the grant is that we are giving people a sense of security uh, through the grant that they can actually pay their rent and feed their children, feed their family, uh, pay their utility bills uh, for that month. In order to apply for a grant, it's, it's very simple. Uh, all you need to do is be an old Saybrook resident and be affected by COVID-19. The funds that you get, and you can apply for a grant up to about, up to $1,500, are to be used for basic needs, rent, food, utilities, childcare, things of that nature. Uh, right now, we're actually looking at one grant per family. Uh, this is a really exciting time if you can get this out to your viewers. 
Um, it's important that they, if they're thinking about doing this, they do it soon. We have a, um, we are setting up the grant committee uh, as we speak this week uh, under the guidance of Leanne Palladino, our town finance manager. We're gonna be putting together the um, grant committee and we will be starting to distribute grants by the end of August. Um, that has been what our target is, uh, and I think we're going to be able to meet that target pretty successfully. Uh, the, right now, the grant committee will be made up of uh, Leanne Palladino actually runs the uh, financial stability committee for the COVID recovery team. Her people will be on it. Well, some people from OS Cares on it. And then as Carl pointed out, we'll have people from family services here in town. Uh, we're we're actually you know looking forward to uh, extending this you know our marketing, and I should point out that we have a team that is of all volunteers. Um, my colleagues on the team are Ashley Smelzer, who's the co-chair of the steering committee. We have Lee Morant, uh, Kristen Roberts, and Maureen Zavatone. You know, all these, all of my colleagues here are accomplished in their own right, but they have a very strong depth and breadth of both media and marketing expertise. And that's what's really been helping us get the word out, creating the media pages we have and moving this thing forward as we have so far. Um, our small account, you know, contributions uh, have we've had a steady stream of those because we've been able to get the word out through various media channels, our Facebook page, our social media efforts and things of that nature. And it's working out pretty well. But with the goal of 100,000, we're now in the backstretch and it's going to take uh, some really heavy lifting and an effort to do some larger items. We're probably going to plan. We're planning on a, spe a special event in the fall which will be a key fundraiser. And we're also in the process right now of organizing a plan to go out and speak with the businesses um, and some of the high net worth individuals who have been very generous uh, to us through the project to make, make up the additional 50,000. So uh, if I may, Mark, um, so a couple things with this also. Uh, this program is separate than what we do with social services. Right. So Youth and Family Services uh, is run by Heather McNeil and mm -hmm. Sue Consoli runs social services in Old Saybrook. And she does a fantastic job. So there are always in every community people who have needs. Uh, people who are having trouble making their rent, putting food on the table, or doing, um, or you know, feeding their children, things like that. So. Uh, we know who those folks are. This is for people specifically affected by the pandemic. Um, and that's the where we want to distinguish uh, uh, this fund from just a general social services fund. So this will not go on forever. No. This is a, uh, a, a very distinct event that has happened to the country, to the state, uh, to the town of Old Saybrook. And we just want to help those people who are having a rough patch uh, and will be reemployed. That's right. Hey, Mark, I forgot. I just want to let you know that I actually found out about Old Saber Cares not long ago because I actually had Kevin Wilhelm from the United Way on with me and we talked about it for a few minutes. Kevin also has been a great partner, and the United Way has been very generous in waiving all their fees so we can optimize 
every dollar that we take in right now. Um, you know, back to uh, the whole situation with youth and family services and the, and the people affected, um, we've, you know, we've already received just under 30 grant requests. And that's one of the reasons why we uh, have expedited setting up the, the grant committee this week so we can get funds out to those people. It just shows you the need. And for us, the way we think about it, the more money we can raise, the more people we can help. And for us as a committee, uh, as one of my colleagues put it, you just look at some of these grant requests and the need and you understand why we're doing this. Uh, like I said, it's been a great opportunity to work on something that is a tremendous community uh, support. And uh, the, the committee's really dynamic. Right. Uh, you know, Mark and uh, Lee Morant and uh, Ashley and Kristen Roberts. Uh, and Mark, we only have a minute or two. Right. Uh, but yeah, I know you're planning some uh, special events, perhaps? Yeah, so um, we have right now come up with an idea of, of, of which is similar to like a Giving Tuesday, where we're gonna get the press and the media involved and do a one day or three day special event to just raise money in the fall. We're not seeing the demand for the grant slowing down right now. Uh, so for us, it's, you know, it's very hard to plan something as, as far as a special event in, in the current environment. We think this would work well, and this is really, uh, Lee Morant came up with this idea. We think it's a great idea. We do have to get a final approval from Carl on it, but I think it's actually going to work pretty well for us. The other thing that we've done is uh, because there are some people that have reached out to us that are, are willing to make larger donations as we've worked with uh, Leanne and the town to be sure that we can we can accept alternative funding. We can actually take appreciated stock through the town. Uh, we can actually take 401k uh, distributions through for charities and we actually can accept uh, funds. We just tested it out as a matter of fact uh, for donor people who have donor advisor funds. Uh, we can accept those funds through either the town or through uh, United Way, and that's actually working pretty effective for us right now. Mark, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, Pete, Mark, man. thanks a lot for some time. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Okay, Pete, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank Have you, Mark. On behalf of Mark and Carl, I'm Pete Mazzetti. COVID-19 has changed the lives of millions of citizens across the world. Local, state, and federal government officials have been working tirelessly with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So doing everything we can to give you confidence that even though um, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, at least you know that we've got your back going forward, at least uh, for the next four months when hopefully we'll be on the backside of this crisis. In efforts to slow down the spread of the virus, here are some tips that you can do to help the fight. Besides washing hands and self-isolating, there are many things that you may come into contact with that could use some disinfecting. These include high-touch areas, such as doorknobs, handles, tables, desks, hardback chairs, light switches, faucets, toilet flushers, towels, bags, and steering wheels. When leaving your home, it is important to take the necessary precautions to avoid getting or spreading COVID-19. At the grocery store, practice six feet of social distancing while maneuvering around and try not to touch anything that you don't need to. Takeout and delivery are a great way to continue to support local business, but be cautious when interacting with employees and other customers. Once home, 
transfer the food to a plate and discard containers. Wash your hands before eating and any leftovers should be stored in your own containers. There is a low risk of transmitting COVID-19 from any mail or package you may come into contact with. However, it is always a safe idea to wash your hands after handling them. According to the CDC, you can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by practicing social distancing, avoiding touching your eyes, nose, and mouth, and by washing hands frequently. We hope this video will help you and your family stay safe and stay healthy. For more information, please visit www.cdc.gov. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti, sitting here with Old Sabre First Selectman, Carl Fortuna. Carl, welcome back. Happy to be here. Happy to be, happy to be here. It's well, always a sunny day when what, I'm on the Pete Mazzetti Show. Where else would you rather be right now? But we'll talk about that later. So we talked about economic development, right? Yeah, we did. We talked about Old Sabre Cares, yes. right? Yes. So now we need to talk about the education side of things, and we're going to bring in one of our other friends that I'm going to let you do the introduction yeah. on. So go for it. So um, the pandemic, again, uh, started in March. And, you know, we were all talking about it a little bit before as it was approaching. Um, and then, of course, it hit and the schools got closed rather rapidly. Mm -hmm. Town Hall got closed rather rapidly. Yep. Uh, it was an interesting couple months in Town Hall. We really haven't explored that yet. but. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Old Saybrook hasn't been hit terribly hard by the pandemic right. in terms of the number of cases. Right. So other than uh, Apple Rehab, mm -hmm. uh, right. which had an outbreak, uh, and a lot of nursing homes had outbreaks, the town of Old Saybrook, I think, has had a total of about 45 cases. Uh, so. But the schools have had many other challenges, yes. as you can imagine. Yes. Uh, and, you know, right about a month into this, as I was watching a nephew of mine who was a freshman in high school, mm -hmm. and I kept hearing from uh, Superintendent Peruccio as we had our three times a week, sometimes seven times a week, uh, meetings with the chief of police and our public safety leadership team, uh, the challenges that the schools were going through were incredibly significant. How do you transition from in-classroom teaching <laughs> right. to distance learning. Yes. Some kids don't have Wi-Fi. Right. Uh, not everybody has a computer. Not every, you know, and parents might still be working. Now their kids are home and the kids are seven years old. Yes. And you can't leave those children home. So does, what does the parent do? So there were incredibly significant challenges mm -hmm. that faced the public school system. And at least in Old Saybrook, this was less about a public health emergency and more about a public education emergency. Right. And I firmly believe it, it's probably true right to this day because we've been very fortunate in the number of cases that we've had mm -hmm. in the town of Old Saybrook. But as we go through the summer here, uh, uh, Superintendent Pruccio will talk a little bit about what they went through right. in the spring, uh, some of the challenges they're facing here in the fall, both with academics, athletics, and financial implications. Right. So with that, I'd love to bring on Superintendent Yeah, go Puccio. ahead. Bring. Um, Jan, welcome. How are you? I'm well, Pete. How are you? Thank good. you for having me here tonight. Well, good to see you. Good to see you. It's been a while. 
It has been a while. You look great. You too. You too. So, Jan, what's what's go, what's going what's going on with the school system? And what's going like Carl said, it's been it's been a, it's been a challenge. What's tell us what what they when everything happened, what the kids expected, and what's what's going to happen in the weeks and months to come. Sure, yeah, I'm uh, happy to tell the saga of the school closed down and reopening, which is what we're living through right now. And and I agree with Carl, I think we've been very fortunate in Old Saybrook health-wise for the most part. Uh, and that, that, of course, is number one right. to all of us. And that's why we made the decision we made to close our schools uh, back in March. We watched in February and early March as uh, this illness crept out of some of our our bigger, more urban areas like New York City, uh, San Diego, and into, into Fairfield County, and then kind of coming up the I-95 corridor. And the numbers were nowhere near as good as they are right now when we made the decision to close Old Saybrook Public Schools. And I have to commend a lot of people in helping me with that decision. That's not something I did on my own. First and foremost, Dr. Carter from the state gave excellent advice to superintendents about you know, how, how to consider the medical data that we were seeing and we're very unfamiliar with uh, interpreting. Our regional health authority, CRAD, was very helpful to us. And then emergency management uh, and Chief Spiro put together, um, allowed us to use their phone system to get every single superintendent we could get together from the region and make a decision together to close our schools on March 13th. Mm. And the reason why we did that is we felt it was pretty ineffective for me to close Old Saybrook schools only to have schools around us remain open. Right. Um, so our kids actually left our schools on March 11th because the 12th and the 13th were scheduled professional development days. And those kids never came back to school this, this past year. So I think that it is no small sense of loss for them what, what they missed out on for the remainder of the year, in particular our graduating class of 2020, but all of them. I've never heard so many students say, I miss school and I miss my teachers as I have in the last few months. Right. Um, but obviously our, our decision was based on uh, what we were hearing from uh, epidemiologists uh, and the folks at the state who had been following this illness and talking about it in the similarities they had seen to the way communities responded in, uh, in, you know, history would tell us in 1918 to the to the big influenza that hit this part of the, the nation uh, and the world. So it left us in a really interesting situation. Teachers had uh, maybe 48 hours to get ready for distance learning. And at the time, a number of our secondary teachers, particularly at the high school, were using Google Classrooms, which has become our basic platform for organizing a school day. Mm -hmm. uh, and not so much at the elementary level. It didn't, re didn't really, wasn't necessary when we were in the school building in a brick and mortar setting. So we had 48 hours. We switched up all our professional development on that Thursday and Friday and went over to how to set up a Google Classroom, distance learning, what software is available, what resources could we use. And we opened up a brand new school uh, a few days later. You might remember that at first, the State Department of Education was telling us not to go to distance learning. Um, they were concerned about equity. They were concerned about what we would be able to put together. And so we spent a bit of time, I can't even remember, couldn't have been more than two weeks, just putting supplemental learning out. And at that time, we felt we were losing school days 
that these weren't going to count as school days, uh, and we were beginning to get very nervous. Eventually, the State Department, again, they were learning the ropes as we were learning the ropes. It's not like anybody had the, the right answers. Um, they finally said, yes, you can go to distance learning. And then we began because we were not a one-to-one -one district, meaning not every student was issued a computer every year, um, though we had many computers in our school district. Um, we had to find a way to issue computers to students who had already been sent home um, and to issue, in some cases, Wi-Fi hotspots. So our amazing IT department uh, managed to make that happen, and we had tents up, and we had students and parents coming and not even getting out of their cars because we didn't want to risk exposure, exactly. handing them computers through car windows or having them on occasion sign out forms and take them off with them. Um, so it was quite an abrupt end of the brick and mortar school year and quite an abrupt start of distance learning. And then what I would say is throughout the spring, teachers and students got better at distance learning. Um, everybody refined their skill set. We learned how to post assignments in a better way. We learned how to hold kids accountable in a better way. We even learned that you have to assign classroom work to students in a way that they can plan for it in their week. You can't just say, and tomorrow we're going to do this and the next day we're going to do that because they're not, they've got to coordinate all of their classes and all of their events for the week. Um, we're really lucky in Old Saybrook that teachers and administrators continued to work with students outside of the classroom. Uh, we kept some clubs and activities going that could be done remotely. Um, I know I continued to meet with students. Uh, I know the administrators continued to meet with student groups. And so there was some connection, but obviously uh, nowhere, where, nowhere near what we wanted it to be. Um, as I said, if anything, what we've learned is how to do this, how to do this better. Um, and, and we are taking that learning and we have spent the summer um, creating new learning platforms for distance learning because we are concerned that we'll be back here again. We have uh, spent quite a bit of money both out of the end of the 1920 budget, meaning last fiscal year and this fiscal year, um, getting technology so that we can put technology in students' hands that is the same from one class to another, not all grades, but at least grades five through 12 will have exactly the same computers and teachers won't have to worry about, will this work on that computer or won't this work on that computer? Just to make it uh, much more simple for people to engage in the learning. Because if we end up in a distance learning situation again, whether that's because we're in a hybrid model, which I'll talk more about in a minute, or we're full distance learning, we want it to be as simple and straightforward as possible for both the students and the teachers. Um, and so lots of time has been spent this summer working on that, as well as creating our, um, our hybrid plan, uh, our full closure plan, and our full opening plan. So really, we are getting ready now to open up three different school districts. And we've had to write three plans for those school districts. And these plans aren't just, you know, a school day. It's the building itself, the staff, the schedule, the technology, how we get in and out of the building, how we get on the bus, how we get off the bus, how we drive into the parking lot, all of it needs to be spelled out. And that plan was due to the state on the 24th of July. Okay. Uh, and we, we, that is up on our, our website. It's, it's many, many pages long. Uh, and it considers many things, though I will admit that uh, even the state, and, and we are included in that, we have to still continue to fill in the details because there are some things 
nobody really has thought of yet. Um, so that's where we are now. That's what we're working on. So I guess I'm kind of transitioning into the 2021 school year, but I didn't know if you had a follow-up, Carl. You looked like you did. Uh, uh, <laughs> do you have anything? Or um... I was going to say, I was going to say, Jan, as far as the up upcoming school year look is g looking looking like, what's it going to look like? Uh, well, it's we have three. As I said, we have three models built. Okay. And um, the models will be implemented. Perhaps all of them will be implemented eventually, um, or maybe only one or two. Um, but we are ready or 90% there right now to open our schools in any of the models. Um, when we talk about the model for opening, mm -hmm. uh, and we have to tell the state by Wednesday night what we're planning to do uh, on the day that school is supposed to open, we think about three really important goals, and I would say that they are in this order. Uh, first of all is safety and health, okay. number one goal, including mental health. Um, academic rigor, whatever we do, we need to make sure that we're providing students with an academic experience that's meaningful. Uh, and as I said, a lot of training and a lot of work going on on that right now. And then thirdly, we know that we don't function in isolation and we have to support our families and our families need to go back to work. We understand that parents need to work and not all of them um, have the ability to work from home. Right. So the plans that we're putting in place are all about mitigating risk because we know unless we're all gonna stay home all day, every day, there's no way to say there's no risk um, and making sure that we have a program that's gonna work for students. Can you tell me, um, when you come up with these plans uh, for you know three schools, as you say, uh, how is it that you come up with that? And do you rely on experts, or are you doing this internally? And you know, where do you gather those resources? Because it's just a huge task. And I know we talked today a little bit about this, and some of that was new to me as to what you might be planning. And I know other schools might be planning something different. Uh, and I'm, I'm a little surprised that there's not unif more uniformity uh, straight across the state. So how does that come to be that each district might be able to choose what they want to do? It's a really good question um, and it has multiple layers. The answer has multiple layers. We were being told right up until Monday of last week, so a week ago tonight, that we would all open full schedule five days a week for all students. Monday night, the governor um, stepped away from that and said there'd be more flexibility for districts. And then that was fleshed out this week as to what that flexibility would be. My understanding is that we had some regions, some schools, particularly larger schools that said they could not achieve some of the mask wearing, social distancing um, components, the mitigating components. Uh, and I think that that may have had an impact on um, what was changed at the state level. But the state has been reluctant to, um, to tell us, to command that we do something in a particular way. They did not tell us to shut down until most of us had shut down. So we shut down as effective Friday the 13th. And I think the state announced on the 16th of March that the remaining schools would be closed. Uh, there were very few left that hadn't closed at that time. And the same is true here. Um, because of the difference in sizes of schools, um, contracts, collective bargaining agreements, the number of students you have, the state has been reluctant to say it again. 
Uh, and, and we're perplexed. Honestly, as a superintendent, I'm somewhat frustrated that it's by that. It seems to me that if you're able to close and reopen restaurants the same way across the state, it would be nice if someone could, could support us and help us with that. Given that superintendents, while we're doing our best, we don't have access to the experts in exactly the same way the folks at that level do. So absent that, we have been working regionally to try to come up with good answers. Uh, so the superintendent group that I'm involved with and the superintendent group next door. So that's everywhere from Guilford to the Rhode Island border. We work together and we have been working together at least once a week all summer to try to come up with answers together, to try to do something similar to what we did in March when we closed together. And while each of us has slightly different parameters, we are working together pretty closely and we have developed some really good schemes and plans for how to open schools safely in whatever format that turns out to be. So um, Pete, uh, as you can imagine, when you have to plan, and, right. and I'd like Jane to talk about this a little yeah. bit, um, when you have to plan to say, okay, we might have to have a full opening, every right. kid going to school, that includes every kid wearing a mask, yep. that includes every kid being socially distanced. Correct. Uh, the whole bus situation, kids have to stay, have assigned seats on the buses. There has to be a bus monitor to make sure that they stay distance. Exactly. Um, and then when you get into the school, uh, just like when you get into town hall, uh, we, we put in a lot of plexiglass, we put in uh, a lot of modifications to the building, additional cleaning. Uh, but, you know, Old Saybrook isn't a particularly large district. I think we'd be probably classified as a small district. Okay. Westbrook certainly is a small district. Right. Clinton, Lime, Old Lime. I mean, these are not large districts. The numbers, the, the, the financial numbers that we're talking about for, for the schools to do their planning mm -hmm. and reopen and say, everybody's going to go to school, but wait, some might not go to school. Right. We might do half and half. And then we might have to plan for everybody not to go to school if <laughs> yeah, the virus right. comes back. Right. That's what they're being asked to do right now. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I don't necessarily expect the state to say, look, it's likely that we're all going to shut down in October because the virus is going to come back. Mm -hmm. So just do distance learning from right. September 1st. Correct. But it's, it's, a, it's a Herculean task, I think, to uh, ask these schools to do this. And the costs, the projected costs, not necessarily actual, the cost could be realized if, in fact, they go the full school year half and half or with bus monitors. Uh, but the projected costs are staggering. And, and these are not large school districts. So uh, you know, when they talk about Congress uh, doing uh, a HEROES Act or um, an additional um, stimulus for the states, Correct. the state's economies, right. they have to provide money to the schools. But think of the, the cost, because if Old Saybrook is over $2 million, Westbrook is nearly $2 million, that's $4 million right. just with uh, a total of uh, maybe not even 2,000 students. That's those are large numbers. So um, I'd love to hear Jan, yeah, you know, absolutely. talk a little bit about uh, the costs associated with the reopening and um, as we move through the school year. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Uh, you know, the costs fall into multiple buckets. The state asked us to break them down, and obviously, human resources is one of them. 
um, our staff members are eligible for the same state and federal uh, protections that other employers are employees are, which means FMLA plus the COVID one, uh, EPSLA, which gives you a certain amount of time, uh, intermittent FML for childcare purposes. Um, the problem in education is we don't really have an opportunity to work from home very successfully when your students are in the classroom. So those people will need to be replaced, if not by certified staff members in a teacher situation, at least by someone who will be able to supervise in the classroom while a teacher teaches from home. Um, we have other positions as well that are essential people, key to our work and very hard to do from a distance when the children are in the building. So there, there's an expense associated with that. Uh, we're, we're planning to put monitors on our buses at least for a period of time because there's very specific rules about how students can sit on buses, how they get on and off the bus, and they need to be wearing masks. And as a, you know, as both a parent and an educator, I'm imagining that parents are going to be pretty frightened putting their little ones on a bus and having uh, them assigned a seat with no one there to greet them and, and get them off to school in a way that se still seems friendly and like it's part of education. So there'll be a cost associated with that, with building subs, with paraeducator subs. We're going to need additional um, non-certified staff, as I said, for supervision. So there's that whole human resources expense. Uh, when we put out an initial survey about who might have trouble returning under any of those classified areas, they, the number was pretty staggering. Um, so we're still working on ironing that out. And then, of course, there's a lot of facilities expense. There's uh, cleaning supplies, plexiglass, uh, isolation rooms. In one case, we're actually kind of uh, building somewhat of an isolation room. Furniture needs to be changed out because we had all moved in education to tables and conference tables similar to most people's work setting. And now we're kind of going back to the in-rows desks and in-row in tables with students very separated. Um, we actually are renting tents uh, for these warmer months, because even tonight on Governor Lamont's update, uh, Dr. Fauci said, you know, outside's better than inside. So we're going to take advantage of nice weather. Uh, and so all of this is obviously very challenging. Uh, and we're rearranging spaces. So something that was used as a cafeteria may now be used for something very different. And that, that will mean some cost associated with that. Um, PPE masks uh, for for nurses who might be working with somebody in an isolation room. So that might be somebody who appears to have some symptoms and we're waiting for them to go home while we keep them completely isolated from anybody. Uh, and so they would need gowns. Um, we have some teachers who will be working in close proximity with students who may have difficulty wearing masks because of, of medical concerns or other concerns. And we'll need to invest in um, um, the goggles or um, some sort of a face guard beyond the mask. So a lot associated with that, a lot of professional development too. As I said, there's the distance learning. Um, we know that our students suffered some significant loss to some degree or another this spring. And so there's getting students back into the classroom and having them feel comfortable. So there's training for teachers on that. I, I would love to know what we're spending on signage at the end of the day when this is over for arrows for one-way hallways and uh, traffic flow and um, that and the bathroom, uh, just the bathroom signs alone, how to get kids to enter and exit bathrooms and not go in and where to be on the playground, all the cleaning that goes along with frequently touched items and areas, significant stuff. Dan, uh, be, before, before we go, I, uh, how long do we have, Pete? A few minutes? Yeah, a few minutes. Um, 
what about athletics? Uh, I haven't heard much about that, and I'm, I'm wondering uh, what the fall is going to look like. We have about three or four minutes, it looks like. Yeah, we were all kind of wondering what the fall is going to look like because we are really getting mixed messages there. Um, CIAC said that we could enter phase two on July, no, August 3rd, I believe we did. And, and we went to, um, no, July, it was July. Uh, we went to um, conditioning type athletics, no, no playing, no passing a ball back and forth, no sharing equipment. Um, and we are able to move forward beyond that now uh, as of August 3rd. We did not move beyond that point. We felt there wasn't enough time uh, between the first and second phase to determine whether or not we were being successful at keeping students safe. Um, they have now issued um, a start of play for the mid-September and shortened the seasons. And uh, obviously that would be interscholastic play and that means you'd have cohorts of students interacting with each other from a number of different communities. Um, as soon as the IAC re released that last week, um, there was a lot of criticism and even the governor said he didn't think, I think he specifically said football and soccer would happen this fall. So the, the plan may be written, but in most things in this pandemic situation, all our plans seem to constantly be changing. If you go to our website and look at any of our plans, they all say subject to change. Um, because we anticipate they're going to change multiple times during the course of certainly through the fall or until there is a vaccine. So really it hasn't been very complicated. It's been pretty straightforward pretty and, uh, and not a lot of work, right, Jan? Nothing going on. Yeah. Nothing going yeah. on. <laughs> uh, so um, that's, uh, that's what's uh, happening in education, and that's Old Sabra. Right. Multiply that right. by you know all the you know other school districts, regional school districts, Absolutely. in the states, the you know in all 50 states, it's going on like this. Right. And uh, we're fortunate that we you know have a, a fabulous superintendent. I hear nothing but good things about him all the time, and they're working hard and they're they're going to try to make it successful for the students this year. Um, you know, your heart goes out to the students uh, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. last year, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who get sent home on March 13 and everything shut down. And, and, and if you were a college senior, you know, you lose that. So um, I don't know what's going to happen this year. You yeah, know, I'm, know, I'm personally not that optimistic about Major League Baseball or the NFL even yep. happening. Uh, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, young people, as we know, Pete, are really the ones who take the most risks. Yep. You hear about it right now in Massachusetts. Absolutely. In, in Darien, Connecticut, you hear about these parties going on and, um, and those are the asymptomatic super spreaders uh, and then they go to school and what happens when, oh, God forbid in Old Saybrook, but what happens when the first teacher or, or five teachers in one school uh, get the virus? Right. Uh, what will the state do at that point? Will they send everybody home? Right. Um, I know some of the colleges are talking about right now opening, uh, even some of the schools, I think we're talking about sending the kids home at Thanksgiving yeah. until after the December First of break. The year. So, yeah. um, Jan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, uh, I know. Pete, uh, I know. This has been, been very informative, Jan. Unfortunately, 
it's been very informative. So, so we've got a little well, bit. Thank you. Thank yeah. you both for having us. And uh, if I could just end with a plug, and, and that's uh, many thanks to everybody in Old Saber for being so supportive of the team's work. And uh, while we've been doing the hard work, we've been getting a lot of support from the community. So a lot of thanks to all of our citizens, our parents especially, and our students. Thanks a lot, Jan. On behalf of Jan Peruccio, Carl Fortuna, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks. Good night, and we'll see you next time.